15. It's always a blessing, 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 blessing to be with the Lord's people. be numbered with the saints, to be numbered among the living. You know, if God uses a man at all, it's just because he chooses to do so. It's not because he has any gifts or abilities of his own, that's for sure. You don't have, you know, Paul says, you know, he chose the foolish to confound the wise. I tell you what, he's certainly done that with me. Certainly done that with me. And I sure love all of you and love Todd and these dear preachers. Spent a lot of time with them. And we've had a wonderful time, Shirley and I have. I'm going to read the first 11 verses here of Acts 15. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren... And said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now here's some fellow says, there's only one way to be saved. Only one way. You got to be circumcised after the manner of Moses. And when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. What question? How's a man going to be saved? And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And all oh, when anybody's converted, anybody's saved by the grace of God, that causes great joy unto all the brethren. Oh, when somebody comes forth and confesses their faith in Christ, it just makes you happy, makes you rejoice. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. And this is what they talked about. They declared all things that God had done with them. God has to do the work. But there rose up again certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Here we go again. You can't be saved unless this happens to you. And the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter of how a man's going to be saved. By circumcision, the law of Moses, or by some other method, some other means. And when there had been much disputing, verse 7, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us. God made the choice. God's the one that decides. God's the one that makes the choice. He made a choice. And it says this, that a good while ago, that the Gentiles by my mouth, now listen to this now, should hear the word of the gospel and believe, not circumcision, not Moses, not the law, but should hear the word of the gospel. The word of the gospel. The gospel comes in word. We use words, but it's God's words. It's God's gospel. And he goes on to say, and they believe. They didn't do anything. Believe. And God, which knows the hearts, bless his name that he does, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And listen to this, and put no difference between us and them, the Gentiles, purifying their hearts by faith. 
Now, therefore, why in the world would you tempt God? And that's what it's called, tempting God. To put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Now, listen. But we believe through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we shall be saved even as they. Even as they. Now, my subject this morning, title of my message is what I want to describe what a believer is. The description of a believer. Description of a believer. Todd said he likes to get assurance when a preacher preaches. Well, I hope I can give you some assurance today. <laughs> a description of a believer. What, how would you describe a believer? How would you describe him? One thing a believer does, we as God's people, we use terms that other people don't use. Now, they'll use the word grace, but we use terms. We use the word sovereign. We describe God as sovereign. That means that he reigns. That just means that he's reigned, that he's God is God. He's not a pretender. He's not something that can be manipulated. He's not someone who has to decide to do something. He does what he does. He acts like God. He acts like God. And I like for him to be God. I want him to be God. I wouldn't change him in any way at all. I don't care who was saved or who was damned. It makes no difference. We're not going to change what God says about himself. We're not going to do that. And when we use this wonderful term, particular redemption, I love that. I love the fact that when Christ said, I lay down my life for the sheep, the sheep, I lay down my life for my people. I died for the elect. One fellow told me one time, all you're talking about is God's people, God's people, God's people. I said, that's what he calls them. He says, my people, which are called by my name. And that's what he talks about, his people. He laid down his life for his sheep, those that were given to him. And we love those terms. And then we use the word depravity. Now, what in the world does depravity mean? Well, that means a man's ruined. That means he's ruined from the top of his head to the sole of his foot. He may not be as bad as somebody else, but in the sight of God, he's as bad off as he can possibly be. That's what depravity means. And then we use this term Armenian. What does Armenian mean? That's the opposite of what we believe. <laughs> what's an Armenian? Just the opposite. The fellow asked me, what's the difference in me and you? And I said, to everything. We don't believe in free will. All our will will do is, uh, my, uh, my will, all it ever done for me is cause me to sin. Let God, we pray all the time, God, please don't leave me to myself. Oh, please don't leave me to myself. And we want to, when we use these terms, and free grace, I love the term free grace because that tells you that it has no conditions upon it. It's freely given. And I love that term. And we use these terms and we deal with these things and describe a believer because we don't want men's blood upon our hands. We don't never know what's going to happen to a person after they've been in his service. I don't, there's so many people here I don't know. So we don't know what's going to happen to a person when they leave a service. So you know you want to be honest with me and you don't want a man to leave the service and drop dead and you preached something besides the gospel of the free grace of God. 
And you know, we want to keep, and, and the thing is, we want to preach the truth. God's glory is revealed in His truth. He's never glorified in a lie or any kind of compromise at all. And another reason why we want to describe a believer and tell the truth is because of the worth of a soul. Of the worth of a soul, the, the importance of caring for your own soul. If a man won't care for his soul, I'll care for his soul. My children don't care for their souls, but I care for them. They won't pray for themselves, so I'm going to pray for them. They won't come hear the gospel, so I've only got one thing I can do is pray for them and care for their soul. If a man don't care for his soul here today, you've got a preacher up here preaching to you that cares for your soul. We care for men's souls. That's why we preach the gospel. You see, a man's soul, what he is, when God made man out of the dust of the earth, he was an inanimate object. He was standing there just like a statue, and he had nothing but just standing there as clay until God walked up to him and breathed into him the breath of life, and that's when he became a living soul. And he's an eternal soul. Once he comes into existence, he's going to always exist. He's going to exist always. He's, going to ex he's either going to enjoy exquisite bliss with God throughout eternity. He's going to enjoy God and delight in God throughout all eternity. Or he's going to have exquisite misery and blackness and darkness forever and ever. So that's why. And oh, what a terrible, terrible rebuke to those who don't care and aren't concerned with their soul. They care about the body. They dress the body. They take such care to dress it up and don't care about the nakedness of their soul before God. And they'll feed the flesh and starve the soul. And oh, we don't want to do that. But let me give you a description of a believer. You know, it said here that God made the choice. And they went and declared what God had done with them. Here's the first thing, the way I'd describe a believer. First thing I'd say about him is that he's seen God. <laughs> he's seen God. And I'll tell you something else. Once he saw him, and he's been, God's been pleased to let him see him and reveal himself to him, he's not like they thought he was at all. He's not like they thought he was. You know, when we was in religion and doing all the things and everybody's got their view of God, Everybody's got an opinion about God. But God said, you thought I was altogether someone like yourself. But God's not like us at all. He is not like us in any way, shape, form, or fashion. You know, there's people that says He is. My, they always say, my God's a God of love. No, 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 that's not the way it is. God is love. He's not a God of love. If there's any love, God's the one that's got it. But I'm telling you what, that the believer has seen God. And what I mean by that is that they saw him first and foremost as a God of predestination. He's a God that declared the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, all my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That's what he said. He don't under God are all his works from the beginning of the creation. And that's why God predestinates everything that happens. I was driving to, to, to meet the other day, and there's one, one leaf, one leaf blew off of a tree and went right by the car. 
And I immediately thought, God sent that leaf at that time just for me to think about him. <laughs> that I mean the hair, if he says he numbers the hairs of our head, there's not a dust particle in the face of this earth that God doesn't cause it. If you, you ever sit in the light and see all them dust in there? That's God, he puts all that dust there. He controls, I mean, down to the minutest details. He predestinates it. He's got my heartbeats numbered. He's got my hairs numbered. He's got my breasts numbered. He's got my steps numbered. He's got my life predestinated from the day I was born till the day I leave here and go be with Him. And I get up every day and say, it's the Lord's day. It's the Lord's day. And not only is He a God of predestination, and we've seen Him that way, love Him that way. What about my will? What about my power? What about it? God, He's the God of power. He's God who's got all might. Power. Oh, I've heard once, I've heard twice, Shay, that all power belongs unto God. Man wants to talk about, I've got this power, I've got that power, I've got, I've got power to do this, I've got power to do that. There ain't up, nobody got any power except God give it to him. The powers that be are ordained of God. You know who our president was going to be before any of us knew? The one that God said is going to be. And he didn't decide on November the 8th either. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> oh, bless his name. That just about makes you want to holler, don't it? Oh, listen now, and I'll tell you what, you know, listen. It, it, we are such a desperate condition. Our hearts are so hard. Our minds are so rebellious. Our necks are so stiff that it takes an impotent power to break the heart, to bend the neck, and to take the mind and make it submissive. It takes a miracle of God Himself God said, I'll take out the stony heart. And what he said, I'll put in a heart there that can feel. A heart that can be touched. A heart that can be moved. A heart that can feel. A heart that can love. A heart that can know God. He said, I'll give you that heart. And not only that, I'll give you a spirit. I'll put a spirit in you. And it takes power. Salvation is a supernatural act of God, of His almighty power. And God, when He sends His power, I mean His power is going to do its work. He can come as just a puff, or He can come as a mighty rushing wind, but he can, He's the only one that can take that heart and break it and give you a heart that can be touched. He's the only one that can move your heart and make it lift up to Him. Only one that can do that. And then He's a God of purpose. We've seen God. He's a God of purpose. This is how God taught me the gospel. When I seen that word purpose, I used to, I used to, I, when, I, I, when I first went to Tennessee, they called me the holiness preacher because I was a bench-jumping, tongue-speaking Pentecostal. Till God saved me. But I, 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 I got in such terrible shape 
got in such terrible shape because the people I was preaching to, Greg, they'd, they'd be all right for six months and they'd go right back to the world. And I was preaching how you're supposed to live and you're going to be holy lives and all this kind. It's got to be holy, holy, holy. And they'll do all this stuff. And then they'd go right back to the world. And I said, well, it, it, what's, what was my message? I'm preaching one thing and they do something else. And I started, oh, I started praying, God, please, please have mercy on me and teach me. Teach me. And this is the way I prayed. This is the way I prayed. God's my witness. I said, Lord, is salvation something you do or something we do? Or do we do it together? Is holiness something we can produce or something you have to give us? And I was sitting up in the woods, up behind my house, way up in the woods, Went up there squirrel hunt, and I had on a little old vest, and everywhere I went, I had a Bible with me. I kept Bible everywhere I sat down. I, just, I read the Scriptures all the time. And I sat down up there, and I had a little old paperback Bible. Reached into my back, and I pulled it out, and, and I opened it up, and I was sitting up there, and, 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 and 2 Timothy 1.9. Oh, bless the Lord. 2 Timothy 1.9, just like a light shined on it. It's just like a light shined on it. And God, right then and there, He did something for me that I ain't never got over. And this is what that verse says. God who hath saved us, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose, purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world ever began. And ever from then on I read the Bible in light of the word purpose. God don't, God don't, things don't happen by chance. Don't happen by chance. Oh my, and then he's not only a God of purpose, but he's a God of promise. And the positive side of the promise is, is that he'll do good. He'll bless and meets the needs of all of those who believe he's promised. But the other side of it is that also he's promised what he's going to do to those who won't believe. Won't believe. And let me tell you, though, it's okay. That's the first thing about a, grace, about a believer, description of a believer. Not only has he seen God, but he's seen himself in light of God and his holiness. You can't see God and it not profoundly affect your, your, your attitude about yourself and what you know about yourself. And when you see yourself in light of God and His holiness, you realize right then and there how guilty, how sinful, how wretched, how miserable, how naked, what a loathsome person you are. And you don't know. You don't see your sinfulness in to start seeking the Lord. You won't see your sinfulness until you first see the Lord. Huh? Is that not right? Let me show you something in Isaiah 5. Look with me in Isaiah 5. You know, that's the, that's the thing about it. People think holiness is riding around in a buggy with a horse in front of your buggy and wearing black pants and white shirts and a black hat. That's not holiness. You that desire to be holy, don't you hear what the law saith? You know what holiness is? 
Holiness is a state of being. It's a state of being. When our Lord Jesus Christ, He prayed in John 17, He says, Father, sanctify me. That I might sanctify them. Now, did our Lord Jesus Christ need to be made holy? When he says, sanctify me, that I may sanctify them? No, what he is saying, set me apart to the cross. Set me apart to death so that I can sanctify, make holy my people. And holiness is a state of being. God said, be ye holy as I am holy. How in the world are we going to be as holy as God? If all it takes is us dressing a certain way and wearing our hair a certain way and using a certain conversations and going to places and not going to places, any of us could do that. But how in the world are we going to be as holy as God? Hey, but one way we can be as holy as God, and that's for God to declare us to be holy and make us holy and regard us as holy. And the only place He can do that is in His blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. With his spotless garments on, I'm as holy as God's own son. So you go, you go on and try to be as holy as you can be. But I ain't going to try. I'm already as holy as I'm going to be. I'm as holy as I'm ever going to be. <laughs> I ain't going to get no more holier than I am. <laughs> I'm not going to get no more righteous than I am. I hope I get more gracious. I hope I get more loving. I hope I get kinder. I hope I get sweeter. I hope I get more uh, compassionate. But I ain't going to get more holy or more righteous. No, I'm not going to do that. Now look here in Isaiah 5. I'm gonna, I want you to see this. Look uh, here in verse 8. Look what it says. This is Isaiah now. He said, Woe unto them that join house to house. Look down in verse 11. He says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning. Now look down here in verse, verse 20. No, verse 18. Woe unto them that draw iniquity. Verse 20. Woe unto them that do call evil good and good evil. And oh, he just goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Five different woes there. Then look over in Isaiah 6. Look what he said in verse 5. Then, he, then said I, woe is me. Everybody he said five woes on everybody else. He was woeing everybody else. Everybody, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Oh, you sorry bunch. Everybody was woe, and then all of a sudden, what happened? He saw the Lord. He saw the Lord. He saw people drinking and said, woe to you. He saw people in sin and he said, woe to you. He saw people building houses by houses and he said, woe to you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then he saw the Lord. He saw the Lord high, and if you ever see the Lord, that's where you're going to see high. And he saw him lifted up. That's the only place you can ever see him. And he saw his glory. And he backed up. He backed way up, and he said, oh, Lord. He said, oh, Lord, woe is me. 
Woe is me. I'm the one that's undone. My lips, the things that come out of my lips are not even clean. Because there's nothing in my heart that can cause them to come out clean. And he says, woe is me, I'm undone. And I tell you what, until you become undone, you ain't even a believer yet. That's what happens, you come undone. I'm telling you, you, you owe your guilt and your condemnation. You're like Job, I heard about you. With the hearing of the ear. I see you. I see you now. I see you. Oh, Lord, I see you. And I'm, oh, I'm going to repent. I'm going to get in dust. And I'm going to get in ashes. I've spoken once. I've spoken twice. Now I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. And I'll tell you something else about a believer. He is absolutely done with himself. Our Lord said, except a man deny himself, he can't be my disciple. I used to hear fundamentalist preachers saying, you know, deny yourself your Pepsi, but deny yourself buying Pepsi for a week so you can help a missionary. Use that money to help a missionary. That's what they took deny yourself to be. But you know what deny yourself means? Deny you. Deny your own righteousness. Deny your ability. Deny that you have any strength. Deny that you can do anything. Deny you. Deny you. In the sight of God, you have to say, nothing, nothing, nothing. Who are you? Nobody. What do you know? Nothing. What do you have? Nothing but what Christ gave me. What do I know? Nothing but what he taught me. What do you have? And nothing but what he gave me. And that's what we do. You find a fellow bragging about himself. Oh my goodness. It's awful fellow to brag about himself. Oh, he's done with himself. Look in, let me, look in 2 Corinthians 1 with me. You know this business of holiness. It's, uh, we're at this again. Uh, you know Simon Peter when he was in that boat somebody read that yesterday I believe it was you read that yesterday when, the, when he said launch out into the deep and he said Lord we've toiled all night we've worked we, we know fishing we know what it is to fish for a living and we've toiled all night and oh I, I just don't see any sense in fishing anymore today and he was Arguing with the Lord what he was doing. And they rolled out there and he said, launch out into the deep. And just as quick as he caught fish, you know what the first thing he said? Why in the world was I thinking to talk to the Lord and tell him anything? And that's why he said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. When you think you're going to tell God something and you're going to complain to God, and think to tell him anything, that this is the way it should be, and I know this and I don't know that. Listen, that's when you'll say, Lord, please depart from me. I'm so sinful to think that I would ever even thought that, believe that, felt that. Lord, just go ahead. Just leave me alone. Leave me to my sin. But look what it says here in Second, Second Timothy, uh, excuse me, Second Corinthians 1. <clears throat> 
Look what he said in verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. Let me say this right before I move on. Old Scott Richardson used to say, a believer's in one of three places at any given time. He's either in trouble, he's coming out of trouble, or he's going into trouble. And I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the trouble. And look what he says, that we were pressed above measure, and listen to this, above strength. In so much that we despaired of life, we're going to die here. We're going to die. We're going to die. But look what he says. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Oh, why do we write, if we could write across our hearts and our chest in the sight of God, death, death. You know, what, what, what are we going to do? We, we have the sentence of death in ourselves. And this is the reason that we should not trust in ourselves. Why should we trust in ourselves? What's there to trust? I don't trust me. I don't, and look what he goes on to say. But we trust in God which raises the dead. And listen to this. Bruce preached on this. Who delivered us. Saved us from so great a death. The death of sins. The eternal death. Second death. And doeth deliver us. Has saved us. Will save us. Does save us, and whom we trust that He will yet save us. I mean, I've I've been saved more times, Chris, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've been saved in my life. <laughs> I'm being saved right now. Being saved right now, saved from making a fool out of myself and making a fool out of Christ. Because a lot of fellows are doing that today. But he's done with himself. Any thoughts of goodness, any thoughts of righteousness, any thoughts of his will, any thoughts of his own strength is gone. His mouth is stopped. He's quit. He's quit. The only th when he opens his mouth, he wants to say the right thing. He wants to honor God. He wants to tell truth on God. He wants to tell truth on the scriptures. He wants to be honest with himself. His mouth is stopped and he justifies God. He sees the necessity of somebody else bearing my sins, bearing my guilt, taking my place. And he's so afraid of himself. He is so afraid of himself. And there's only one person that he can trust. One person he can trust. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He trusts him with the most precious possession he has. And that's his soul. And if he had 10,000 of them, he could trust him with every one of them. Couldn't he? And I tell you, beloved, that everything that we're looking at this morning, every person you're sitting beside, every one of us, everything, this building and the people we're sitting beside, every relationship is temporal. Temporal. Some of you sitting here, this time next year, your wife won't be with you. Your child won't be with you. Your husband won't be with you. Everything's temporal. But one thing you'll never, ever lose. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's a brother born for adversity. And let him do what he will. If he wants to come and take you, 
Take your loved one. Take one of your children. They belong to him. And we'll just reach up and kiss the hand of his blessed providence and say, Lord, my time will come too. I'll get to go one of these days myself. And that'll be all right. (laughs) Oh, bless his name. Who looks like what a wonderful Savior is Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful Savior to me. He holdeth me up and I shall not be moved. He giveth me strength as my day. Huh? Well, here's my third point about description of belief. He's seen God and he's seen himself. And all his mouth about his holiness and his righteousness and his strength and his goodness is stopped. He's shut up. He's shut up bragging about himself. He's going to just talk about Christ. And here's the third thing about a description. He's a new creature. He's a new creation. And God made him that way. God made choice by us through the gospel. He's made a new creature, not by his own power of his own will. And what is a new creature? Well, the new birth, if I understand it right, is God bringing into existence a man who never existed before. And I know people that make fun of that, but here's the thing about it. What nature, what happens to us that our hearts, what, what nature do we commune with God about? What, are you, what nature are you listening to the gospel with today and rejoicing in the gospel? What nature are, causes you to delight in the word of God? What nature in you causes you to pray to God? What nature in you makes you understand the scriptures when you lived a whole life and you didn't know anything about it? What happened to you that changed you and happened to you that you went from not knowing anything to now all you want is Christ. What happened to that? That's that new nature God gave you. It's a new nature. It don't have nothing to do with the flesh. <laughs> no, it's a new nature. And I'll tell you, that here's, the, here's how the way this new nature works. The first thing he does is he puts love in your heart that never was there before. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Uh We know we've passed from death unto life. Why? Because we love the brethren. And then, oh, he changes our attitude, changes our desires, our wills, our affections. And this inward man, he gives us this new heart. He gives us a new head. He gives us a new understanding. He outlines our understanding. He gives us a new head. Most of us need a new one. <laughs> but he gives us a new mind. Yeah, he gives us a new mind, a new mind. A mind to know him, a mind to obey him, a mind to bow down to him, a mind to seek him, a mind to delight in him, a mind to never give to 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 to, to, to deny ourselves. He gives us new hope. And one of these days, he's going to take us to a new home. Huh? And I'll tell you this about it, and I'm going to hush. But what God does when he makes a new creature, a new believer, a Christian, a, a, a saint of God, he wants everything out in the open before God. He ain't got nothing that he wants to keep hid. 
Now, I know that. I know that. I mean, he's just as, he's open. He knows that God sees him. He knows that God knows his thoughts are far off. And he just lays himself open before God. If he does something he's not supposed to do, you know what he does? He said, Lord, you saw me. He was there. You heard my voice. You heard my thoughts. You saw what I said. You heard what I thought. You saw what I did. Lord, here I am. You want all things open and naked before Him. You don't want nothing hid from Him. No. No, no. And before that, you wanted everything hid. You didn't want nobody to know nothing. Now, before God, you just say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. And ah, it's like old Simon Peter. The Lord said to him, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Lord, you're the one to know. <laughs> I'm not going to say it again. You're the one to know. You know, you wouldn't be asking me that. So, Lord, you know. You know. You know. And oh, beloved, i tell you this much about us. We're not perfect in this flesh. But it's in our hearts to be that way. Paul said, the will is present with me. But how to perform, I know not how. And we've not apprehended, but i tell you one thing we're doing. We're pressing toward that mark. We're pressing on. And we, you know what our prize is going to be? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's our, he's our prize now. And when we cross the finish line, he's our prize. That's the prize you get. That's the prize you What What prize are you going to get? I'm going to get him. When I cross the finish line, who, what prize are you going to have? The Lord Jesus Christ. Huh? Uh, I'm going to quit. I don't want to, but I'm going to. I tell you, you, our Lord Jesus Christ, there's just not enough we can say about Him. There's not enough we can talk about how much we need Him. There's not enough we can say of what He's done for us. There's not enough we can say to tell what He means to us. There's just not words to describe it. There's just not abilities to do it. There's just not words. There's just not words. But our hearts, our hearts are just so desperately, desperately for Him. And He gives us just a little taste of what we got to look forward to here. Ain't that right? Oh, how to sing a song. <laughs> but I'm not going to. <laughs> I've done sung my song. I've done sung it. It was in tune, wasn't it? Was it, was it in tune? I sung my song. Oh, thank you. I tell you, I just, oh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he just, he's everything. He's just everything.